0: At night, our bones might
1: amazing if that were the new theme song for season five of Hippie Witch. Well, it's not. So don't get your hopes up, okay? (laughs) Thanks for joining me for episode 504 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevo.com, where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including all the links to Love Crumbs. Love Crumbs is the band responsible for that song that is not my new theme song, but it's so amazing. And today is a very special day because we have a new Patron of the Month interview, but it's so next level. This interview is with Allie McTavish, the lead singer of the Love Crumbs, and my chills have chills. My goosebumps have goosebumps. I am so damn excited for you right now because this is a really good interview. And then, of course, I'm going to play Cavalcades, that song that I just played a little teaser of. I've played it on the podcast before. I'm going to play it in full at the end, after the interview. But this is a really good one. So settle in, settle in, get a smoothie, make a cup of tea. Let me tell you what I did this morning, which was a very bad idea. I drank like three gallons of bulletproof coffee. Then I remembered that I promised my kid that in between his two Zoom classes that he has every morning, we would walk around the corner to get a smoothie. They didn't have gluten-free bread, so we could get toast to go with the smoothies. So, I got us two large protein, banana, chocolate, peanut butter thingamajigs. And I layered that on top of three gallons of coffee. And so, I am a complete clown. Just a total clown. All I wanted was some salt and bread. I was like, oh my god, the gurgling. I literally had to lay down before I could record this for you. Never, ever, ever drink three gallons of bulletproof coffee and then put on top of it a large smoothie. What is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Don't do it. Don't. Don't learn from my mistakes, okay? Is this a good time to tell you that There is space open on my coaching tier over on Patreon. Don't you want to get coaching from a person who drinks three gallons of Bulletproof coffee and puts a smoothie on top of it? Of course you do! (laughs) Let me guide you through life. That's not, that's not what I do with those coaching sessions. I am there to listen deeply, reflect you back at you, and then support you in getting to where you want to go. If that sounds fun for you, I really do have space open on the Dream Team. That's what I call my coaching tier over there. So follow the links wherever they may be to my Patreon. Sign up for that tier, and you, my friend, will be on the Dream Team. Woo-hoo! And because I still have a tummy to settle, and this interview really does stand on its own, I'm not going to waste a lot of time here flapping my gums. I do want to mention a couple of things that we talk about in the interview before you listen to the interview. One of them is this moment in which she happily said that their song Cavalcades has 25,000 plays on somewhere, maybe Spotify, and... I want to officially here say that that is extremely awesome and definitely something to be proud of for any content creator to get 25,000 listens or views or hits on something that they have put on the internet. And I need to say that now because my immediate reaction in the moment was... Oh, please, that's nothing. But I didn't mean that that's nothing in the grand scheme of things. I meant it's nothing compared to what I know deep down in my soul this song is capable of. This song is meant to reach millions of people. I feel that if you listen to the song and you feel that too, share it on social media. Tell your friends about it and be part of making something Awesome happen for some very awesome people not because they're awesome people but because you love the song. If you love the song, share it. That's how it goes on the internet. If you love a thing, if you love a book, if you love a podcast, leave a nice review, tell your friends about it. You don't even have to spend a dollar to do that. I think that's totally badass. I also have to say happy birthday Ellie. I learned during the course Of this interview that it's her birthday on Sunday and so I hope she can receive this podcast as a gift of love. We talked a lot about gifts, having a special gift. I believe everyone has a gift. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that everyone has a gift. Everyone has something that makes them special. But the special gift that I'm referring to in this particular podcast is a public-facing gift. Gift, And there is some hesitation that happens in some of us when we have a public facing gift, whether it's to be a performer of some kind or in a service position or even in a leadership position, because you cannot control other people. Other people can be mean sometimes. Other people can reject you. People can love you too intensely sometimes. And it's all part of the experience of having a public Facing gift, which people who are singers like Ali is do, and so that's just a unique experience, part of embracing a gift like that is overcoming these internal hurdles or any impulses to self sabotage or hide or drop out, things like that and so I was speaking specifically about that, but I was not implying that Allie's gift is any more special than your gift if you happen to be a parent, a homemaker, a candle maker, a witch, a tarot reader, whatever it is, we all have a gift. And then one last heads up that I'd like to give before we roll into this interview is that at the end of it, she shares that her brother has autism. And I referred to my son during that part of the conversation as being autistic. And this is really interesting for me as someone who has been the parent of a kid with autism for decades, because for a long time, we in this community would say that somebody who is autistic has autism. And that was to say that this is a human, this is a person just like you living with this condition. They are not autism. It's just something that they travel through life with. But I have been paying attention to the disability community. Thank you very much, Miranda. And I have seen many people who have autism saying that they don't want to be referred to in that way because it makes it sound like they have a problem, like something's wrong with them, that they have this affliction when in fact they actually embrace being autistic and they want to be identified as autistic. I still have a hard time calling someone "n" autistic, like that's what they are. They're an autistic. But I have been making the effort to change my language around this, to be respectful and to keep up with the evolution that this community is going through and to refer to people. This is the most important part, no matter who you're speaking about, to refer to people in the way that they want to be referred to. That's just basic respect. So that is why I used that particular language in this interview. What's funny is he has no idea what autism is. He once heard me talking to a teacher on the phone about his having autism. And then after he was like, what is autism? He had no idea what we were talking about. And I didn't even know how to explain it to him because he's like, A fish living in the ocean who doesn't know what water is. It has been his reality his entire life. He has been in the water of autism, and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm just doing my fish thing in this ocean of life, and why you got to put a label on it? He had no relationship to that word, and I was happy about that because he's a super joyful person And I let him be who he is. I often say he's my role model for joy because he is. He's so joyful and open and people respond to him in such a fun way that it's my privilege to be his mom. And funny enough, that's turned out to be one of my gifts. I have been gifted this very unique kid who has expanded my world in the most amazing way weirdly, I feel something similar for the podcast, probably because they are both completely unexpected. I did not plan for either. And they've both turned out to be huge privileges. It's an honor that you all tune in to listen to the podcast and that you sometimes go so far as to share it on social media or throw me a couple of bucks on Patreon. Honestly, this is A dream bigger than I could ever dream for myself. And I receive it with maximum gratitude. You all are amazing. And I hope you love this interview with Allie McTavish of the Love Crumbs. Hi, Allie. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Thank you so much for having me. I have been dancing around my house all morning long in anticipation of this. I am thrilled to get to talk to you. Aw, oh, thanks. I feel like I don't know a lot about you, which is kind of cool because we can dig into all that now. I know for sure that you're a very nice person and that you're super friendly and outgoing, at least on the internet. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you're the second coming of Stevie Nicks, which is confusing because she's still here on the planet with us. She's still here with us. Yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> And you definitely have your own thing going on, but... You have such a gorgeous voice, and it reminds me of her in a way that goes beyond voice. It's like a spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: it does. I think I, I've been asked this a lot because I have sang so much Fleetwood Mac. I, I'm kind of like a career bar singer, cover band singer, and so I sing a lot of Fleetwood Mac, and I sing a lot of um, Janice Joplin, and. There's something about my voice that reminds people of both. And I think for Stevie, it's because I have what they call the goat vibrato, like Mm. the very tight vibrato. And with Janice, it's because I have a raspy part of my range, but I'm also kind of nasal, which she was too. So I feel really lucky because I don't try to sound like them. It's just kind of elements of my voice that I already have. But both of them just like elicit such strong emotions in people that. Um, I mean, if you just, have
1: to be compared to someone, it should be those two.
2: Those two are good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> does, does that offend you? Is that something
2: that you had to get over as an artist? No, not at all. In fact, the, the only thing I never liked about it was if people would say things like, especially with Janice, they would be like, you sound like her, but even better. And I'm like, oh, don't say that. Don't you dare say that. Like, I, I don't like that. Do not disrespect her like that. Uh, that's, that's the only thing I don't like about it. I actually like, there's songs that I've sang so many times that I'm like, oh, I could never sing that song again. But uh, most of her songs, I will just, I'll never get sick of singing because there's so many people who who saw her live and she was around for such a short time that I can just tell what it what it does for people to hear Someone who sounds like her sing those songs, you know.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I I don't know why I'm trying so hard to offend you today. I'm not, but I <laughs> haven't. I have. A, I have a, I'm very curious about something.
0: Yeah.
1: You have this out of the world voice. It's like a hundred percent. This person is a superstar. So why don't we all know who Ali Mc? Tavish is. Why aren't you on the cover of Rolling Stone? Is this a question you ask yourself? Or do you feel like your journey has had some self-sabotage involved? Or has it just been like, no, this is my place in the world? Or you don't know yet. It's about to happen. Like, what's your feeling about that?
2: Oh, I know. I know why. I mean, I've fumbled and stumbled my way through, you know, my 20s and early 30s were, were tough. And I really did want to be a singer, but I had so little self-discipline. I did have a lot of substance abuse issues and mental health issues. And if anything had happened for me serendipitously, it probably wouldn't have gone well. You know, I just don't think that I could have even have handled it. Um, Luckily, I straightened my life out maybe seven years ago, I think, is when I met my husband. I was living in LA at the time, but We met at a a party in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. I had been in a Grateful Dead band years before that. And we all get together every year. And so I met him at that party. And just like on a whim, I was happy in California. But I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to move across the country and go live with him. And moving to the middle of nowhere was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it really just like took me out of the... Uh, you know, it's not like I was trying to be famous. I was just trying to find my place Mm -hmm. um, singing. And it's not easy to do when you're mainly singing covers. You know, you're just kind of like hoping someone finds you and maybe has something for you to do or, you know, some projects that you could be involved with. And it just didn't happen. And plus, my life was just a train wreck. So when I moved with him, um, everything just settled down for me. And I stopped focusing on that. It's, I was still singing at home, but I wasn't singing out anymore. And then I had my son. And so I ended up taking like a maybe four-year hiatus completely from performing. When we moved to State College, so it was a little bit less rural, I started singing at open mics again. And then I started to really feel like, oh boy, I really miss singing more than I thought. And so I had come back to New England where I'm from to visit. And Mark just said, you want to move back there? Do you think you'll be happier there? Like you can sing again? And I was like, yeah, I think so. So when we moved back in 2019, I just kind of hit the ground running. I joined a bunch of bands quickly, singing covers. But I had this um, band maybe 10 years before with Mike, who's in the Love Grumps. He's the main songwriter of the Love Grumps. And we started just kind of like getting together and playing some of our old songs and I don't know. We just ended up branching out and forming a band. And now it's really started to gather some momentum. And honestly, COVID was like, at first, we go, oh my God, this couldn't have happened at a worse time. We had played one gig. And in the end, I think it's been a blessing because we've been able to solidify our material we started this path of like recording singles one by one rather than a whole album it's so expensive to record Mm. and to record it well at
1: the at the level you're doing it is at the level that we did it in a punk rock band I was in it was not expensive and it did not sound expensive oh yeah the deal (laughs) I I mean the, the love crumbs is excellence all the way through Oh, thank you. From we the couldn't. songwriting to the singing to the... All of it is excellent.
2: We could not DIY what we're doing. None of us really have that technological expertise. And we, you know, Mike has made an investment in this band and that he's hooked up with a producer named Spencer Hattendorf in New York who comes up to Massachusetts. He has a recording studio he works with. And so we've been recording with him and he produces it. He brings up a guitarist and a drummer who've played on the tracks that we've done so far. And he's just phenomenal. Like he Mm. just he plays the piano on the tracks and stuff too. So we've been really lucky to work with them. And then Mike just has this business acumen about Mm. him about how to get the song out there. I mean, it has over twenty five thousand plays on Spotify. That first song, Cavalcades, which for like a bunch of nobodies, oh my god! But let me tell.
1: No, that is nothing. (laughs) That is not justice. I'm telling you, this song, something's going to happen. I don't know what it is. Everybody <laughs> listening right now, I'm going to ask Ali if she'll let me play it again on the podcast. You need to spread this shit far and wide because sure. it's the best. And I think, are you in your late 30s? I'll
2: be 40 on Sunday.
1: Oh, happy yes. birthday. I, happy love, you. I love a 40th birthday. I uh, love a birthday, but I love a 40th birthday. We do. Lordy, so- lordy. Yeah, I was really excited in the years. I would say like three years coming up on 40 because I really connected with this idea of being a late bloomer. Yes. And when I, sometimes when I listen to your music, which I do, I kind of feel this sob like coming up in me that is like for all the late bloomers of the world or all of us who kind of made a mess of our life or kept things away because... I don't know. I feel like there's some people that have special gifts and we don't fully receive them until later in life because we don't believe we can handle it completely. Yeah.
2: Does that resonate with you at all? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was emotionally equipped to handle if anything had happened at all. And I, In fact, the interview that I just listened to you do with the um, woman who does animal pharmacy, it was like the same thing. I'm like, oh, she's 38. This is so cool that it I love hearing stories like that because I think in society we're kind of bombarded with like the 30 under 30 list and like, look how much this person's accomplished at 20, you know? And it's like, well, just not all of us are able to do that. You know, that
1: shit messed with my head so bad when I was young, when I was very, very young, I moved to Hollywood to be an actor and to be a movie star. Let's be real. That's what I really (laughs) wanted. And I thought 23, it was over. I had had my son when I turned 20 and by 23 I was like it's over. I'm old. I'm old. And so I started in my mid 20s looking to women in their 40s. There used to be a magazine that was devoted to women in their 40s and I'm like in my mid 20s buying that thing like no, <laughs> we need to have like cool, interesting, beautiful women to look up to. And totally. yeah, I think we're entering an era where a lot of women like you are going to be breaking through. I I just believe that in my heart and that it's going to serve all women all the way down to, you know, our teenage years.
2: I do too. I mean, the one person that I, I'm sure there's lots more than her, but Lucinda Williams, I think, didn't really break out until she was older. I'm sure she had been like songwriting and performing and stuff for years before that. But, um, you know, it can be done. Is it like, industry standard? No, but that's really for pop music. Like when you're not a pop singer, I think there's more room and, and same with like, you know, character acting and things like that. You don't, you don't need to be young for everything. If you're going for the ingenue, if you're going for like, you know, the pop singer type of thing, then yeah, youth is going to be on your side, but I'm really glad that things didn't start to solidify for me until I was older. And I still am a little, you know, we've had a few like Labels, Mm. reach out. And, you know, there's still like a little part of me that's like, "Uh, is it too soon? My son is five, I don't know, you know. Listen, I'm going to take an opportunity that comes if it comes. But yeah, I've always been a little ambivalent about what success actually involves, you know. It's a
1: huge, terrifying trade-off, I think. It just, even if it's all good, it's still managing a lot of energy. And I just heard somebody I can't remember who, maybe it'll pop into my head, talking about, I think it was Martha Beck, talking about how we all make mistakes but most people were just going along in our life. And if we make a mistake, if we get out of alignment with who we are, we're like, oh, redirect, you know, you can redirect. But if you achieve a certain level of success, energy is moving really, really quickly. So if you get out of alignment, like you might just veer off the road and hit a tree. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's part of what it is. It's just like a lot of energy and a lot of attention and things are going fast. And I think there's some, kind of self-sabotage comfort and keeping that at bay you know me like later
2: <laughs> especially if you're a person who gets easily overwhelmed and overstimulated and who like for me I I love to sing and I really love to record but performing is trickier for me like I will all, I think I'm probably doomed to always feel some level of physical anxiety before I sing even though I'm not insecure about my singing anymore I still feel physical anxiety for like hours. It's a me. lot of, it's a lot of energy. How does that yes.
1: manifest yes. physically? Does it manifest physically for you?
2: It does. And actually I'm going to tie it into my tip at the very end of the interview, what I try to do for it. But yeah, I do. I just get kind of like this, this gurgling stomach and, you know, tight chest and just thinking and thinking and thinking about, okay, okay, okay. What am, Just, I gotta, I gotta do good. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty tough on myself, like a lot of artists, but. Once I get up there, like two songs in, I feel better. And the other aspect of this, which is totally new because I haven't performed much over the past year, is that I actually just quit drinking, like fully quit drinking um, on March 1st. No, oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I've never sang like in front of people without drinking. I'm oh, that's always. a big one. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Yep. And, you know, it's funny because it was like a useful tool to me for the first two sets of a night. Like, I would definitely calm me. But by the third set, you know, I would get now that everybody takes videos of you singing with their phones, I'm always like, man, that third set's not as good. <laughs> you know, mm. and, I, and I don't like that. I don't like that. So I'm excited, honestly, to um, work on coping mechanisms to sing without it, you know, it's not going to be easy. I don't think, but I I also think like, just like the whole, I'm nervous, you know, for hours up until I get on the stage. Once I'm up there for a few songs, a lot of that nervousness does go away. And I don't think it's just the alcohol. It's just like, okay, I've got to get into it. And now, now I'm into what I'm doing. Yes. Physically embodied up there.
1: For me, it's, I have to pee. I don't, I'll be like, I literally just peed. I know I don't have to pee. What is my body doing? But once I'm whatever, doing whatever I'm doing, I forget, like I get into it and then it magically goes
2: away. That's so funny. That's so funny. I think that's, that's a common one for sure. Yeah. I'm so jealous of people who, who don't have that, um, you know, that stage fright stuff. It's, it's really, I think part of it too, is I, should have done this before and I, I still need to do it, is to kind of like find a couple of people whose stage presence I can almost emulate or at least take pieces from. Um, Cause I'm not, I don't think I'm ever gonna be like a strut around the stage, you know, super dramatic singer. I just, its it doesn't feel authentic to try to do that. So I just need to like observe a few people that I'm like, you know what, this is, this is something I can draw from. I saw Nico Case live in Pittsburgh years ago in a small theater. And she didn't really do that much in terms of like physical movement, but she was so compelling. I mean, mm. she just sort of stood there the whole time, but it was just like, she's got this beautiful mane of hair. And she just kind of like, without moving a lot, she was very compelling to watch. So I oh, need Oh yeah. To- I
1: mean, you have the kind of voice that does all the work for you. Have you ever learned anything about method acting? Because there's a technique that might be awesome for you. It's called the animal
2: exercise. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it, but I've, no, I've never thought to apply any of this. Oh, it's
1: it's so great for stage work in particular, because you can study an animal and like really study it. You spend time like watching how it moves and why it moves the way it moves. And then you kind of practice moving that way yourself and imagining that you're that animal. And it's uh, it's really cool. I'm, I'm, oh, a, I'm, I'm partial to felines, which works very well for a stage presence. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea.
1: Yeah. And that probably you can just stand there and belt it out and everybody's thrilled. Maybe you don't even need
2: that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because most people, that's what they they're like, oh, don't worry about it, you know. But, but once in a while, the the few people that will offer me like a bit of constructive criticism say, like, you gotta let loose up there. You know, you get and so I know that it's something that would benefit me would would improve things I want to
1: that is an interesting comment because when I think about particularly your song cavalcades Mm -hmm. I think about letting loose and I did about I don't know I sat there doing takes trying I think it was for patreon I did a I was trying to sing that and I was like I know what she's doing is she's like opening up and just like letting the, the sound come out, I hurt myself. I hurt myself so bad. <laughs> I felt it the next day. I was like, oh my God, I could not belt it out. But believe me, my heart was in it. I just don't have the pipes and I, I don't have the apparatus
2: or the skill to sustain that. But I thought that's what I was doing. You do have to open up big... In fact, uh, that one, if I have to rehearse it like multiple times in a row, by the end, I feel like a snake who's kind of like unhinged their jaw. Like my jaw starts to hurt a little bit where, where it hinges because you do, you just have to open your mouth so wide to get get those notes out. How do you do that without hurting yourself? One of the things that I, I do for my jaw is um, you just kind of take your, your, what is it? Your pointer finger and your middle finger knuckles and you just sort of massage like from... The back of your jaw down, that definitely helps. And this is, I think, an acting trick too that someone told me years ago. When you sing to try to imagine you have an egg in your mouth, like the Mm. top of the egg is touching the roof of your mouth. So that you're, I don't know, you still have good form. Like you're not you're not, you're not supposed to really sing with like your neck reaching up, which is hard to do when you're trying to hit high notes. (laughs) You know, it's hard not to kind of reach up a little bit, but. Technically, you're supposed to just have your mouth open as wide as you can and and like cavernous.
1: I don't have a problem opening my mouth, Allie. I have a problem <laughs> ripping up my throat. It's like somebody like <laughs> took sandpaper and just like ran it through my throat. I am definitely doing it wrong.
2: <laughs> doing the raspiness. Yeah, there's, you know, you can Google singing with distortion. There's some like in, insane distortion voice coaches. In fact, I Years ago, I was, decide, I was like, maybe I'll try out for this crazy, crazy, heavy rock band. And um, they loved my raspy voice, but they're like, believe me, you're going to need to watch this one woman who coaches all these singers because there's very specific things you have to do to not destroy your voice. Yeah. So um, I never did, but there's a guy on, um, gosh, he's from LA too. I can't remember his name, but he, he has some videos about singing with distortion. You could, you could check him out. About the gravelly
1: quality to your voice, is that... Mm-hmm. Nature or nurture? Were you born that way or
2: is that a result of the way you've lived your life? How, how did you achieve that? Well, I did start smoking cigarettes when I was 15 and that may have played a part. The first time I ever sang a Janice Joplin song, I think I was 21. Was a, It was like a cover band and they're like, have you ever sang Bobby McGee? And I was like, no. And um, I did it and I was able to execute it. And they are like, wow, <laughs> you've never sang it? I said, No. And uh, all I had been in up till that point was a couple of bands. And we sang, like my first band we did, um, we played like Rush, Kansas, Carry On, My Wayward Son, you know, <laughs> in Austin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I hadn't done any, cla- even though classic rock was like my music. That's what I listened to growing up big time. Um, I hadn't been in a classic rock cover band. So yeah, that's when I started singing Raspy. And I'm sure I wasn't doing anything uh, the proper way back then. And I was smoking cigarettes the whole time. So over time that was um, definitely hurting my voice, smoking. It like helped me to be able to do it maybe at first, but then it was starting to affect the top of my range. I could still rasp, but when I would try to sing in the prettier register, it was getting harder. Mm. So I quit. I quit in 2014. I wasn't even singing anymore really, but I just, I just had enough. And luckily I did it like exactly a year before I got pregnant with my son. So I didn't have to go through pregnancy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. but it's it's like, it's amazing how much of my voice I got back. Uh, like the part of my register that I had lost Oh, and, and I'm still able to rasp without it. So it's just, I guess I just trained my voice over the years to do it. You know, I have a question
1: that of relates to you having your son because you said there was like four years where you weren't performing. Yeah. I've talked about this before. I think like, singing is one of my greatest gifts because I'm not good at it. And because there's no expectation. I'm just like, I can't not sing. Like I hear you mentioning those songs and something in me just, I just want to bust into song because it just makes me so happy when you're doing it because it is your big special gift. And you know, you've pursued it professionally. Does that take some of the joy out of it? Are you singing to yourself all day long, even though you're not doing it professionally? How does that land for you when you have something that other people probably tell you your whole life like this is your gift yes
2: yeah they do the only aspect of singing that honestly has that that causes me some anxiety is the it's just the the performing part I love what singing um it it brings joy to people i mean there's just no other way to say it yeah you know the reactions that i get afterwards are just so genuine and so so kind and just make me feel so good that i can do that for somebody to make someone happy it it sounds so simple but it it's true i just love that feeling i mm-hmm. love that feeling i do sing a lot by myself and i have like a million songs that i would never sing with a band but i will sing karaoke anytime <laughs> um you know because my voice is very it's idiosyncratic I can't sing certain songs at all you know like um big big belters I'm not gonna sing Aretha Franklin I, I just don't have the voice what for about me. Etta because I feel like Janice yep. and Etta there I kind can do of, some Etta I, I do, tell, I do so. tell mama all the time I oh. Love oh how about yeah. I would rather go blind can I make a request oh yep I do that too
1: <laughs> oh I love that song so yeah. much it's funny talking about this with you because I have chills because I just love this so much. And listening to you talk about the joy it gives people exactly pinpoints why I can never separate magic from art because you're a channel. Like spirit yeah. is flowing through you. Other people recognize it. We know it. We know it when it's happening. There are some people that can't receive it, so they respond by lashing out at it, but it still <laughs> has touched them in some way. You know what I mean?
2: Yes. Yeah. For me, that feeling of the, like the channeling feeling happens when I really know a song inside and out, like Bobby McGee is one, obviously, but um, the, another one like that is Don't Think Twice It's All Right, which is a Bob Dylan song, but Susan mm-hmm. Tedeschi's version, I just can really let that one out for some reason. And I, I like forget myself. Like, I don't have to think about what I'm singing. You know, there's songs like that that I really, yeah, I I love that feeling, actually. It's really Hmm. cool. So
1: you're in the hippie witch community, so you must at least be open to the idea of magic. How witchy are you?
2: How witchy am I? Well, it's funny. I just have such an eclectic, like, individual path. I think I, I said in my introduction when I joined your Patreon, like, I just don't talk to anyone in my real life pretty much about Any of it, like not my husband, not my family. I don't really have friends that are super into any of the metaphysical stuff that I'm into. I wouldn't even necessarily call myself like a a witchy person because I don't do very much. I sort of just feel like I'm tuned into the wheel of the year and tuned into the lunar cycles and what's going on astrologically. And I definitely have like some personal, like devotional type of practice I have. But I don't do like a lot of manifestation or anything, mainly because I've never really known like, what exactly do you want? You know, like a hundred percent. That is the big, (laughs) I just stopped
1: asking. I have to say, and I, I switched what I was doing because I think I know what I want and then I get it and I don't want it. And the universe is like, Hey, we're just giving you what you want. And so I've, I'm just like, you know just chill yeah. for a minute. <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, now I sort of just follow the signs. Like if something is just flowing easily and, and happening easily, I go, okay, well then this probably is the way to go. If if I have to really push hard for something, it, it just feels like then that's probably not the way to go. And, and there's been so many times I've thought I known exactly what I wanted and it, it was not. it it wasn't what I needed. That's for sure. So now I just, um, try to just go with the flow more, but I'm super interested in what other people are doing. And I love to just kind of like take little bits and pieces of what people do and incorporate them into my own life. So totally,
1: totally. I think a lot of my magic is directed at getting out of my own way because I will stand smack dab in the middle of the flow and be like, nothing shall pass here. I don't want to do that, but I I have a lot of fear. So I'm constantly letting that go and releasing that and finding new ways to stay in motion and keep going despite that. Yes.
2: Yep. Me too. Yeah. Like control, just letting go of control. I think, she she was talking about that, the uh, animal pharmacy. I forget her name. I'm so sorry. She was saying, you know, the use me thing, you know, it's such a scary thing to say, but it's true. And actually I have a North node in Leo, which I, I didn't know that much about until kind of recently. And having read about it, I'm like, see, this is, it is really the direction that I should be moving is to listen, if I don't, it's not like I think I'm going to make it in the big time necessarily, but even if I could just like tour regionally or just have a little bit of an online fan base, that would be enough to just make me feel like, okay, like I did, I did something with my gift that has affected more than just like my immediate circle. It would make me totally happy, you know?
1: It will. That's the era we live in now where yeah. we don't have to have permission from some industry to do what we do we can show up on the internet and let like attract like and the people will come if what you're doing is resonating with them and that's been your experience as far as I can understand your entire career people resonating so now you're just opening up the opportunity for more people to find you and I'm gonna guess it's good that you left Los Angeles or just California were you in Los Angeles
2: LA yeah I was there for almost a year and I loved it and I met actually like I I had no idea what the music scene was like there and basically what I hooked up with the music scene was like the blues Mm. circuit which is a ton of mostly guys that have played on all these like amazing records and just have had these crazy careers but like they're just playing the blues jam up in uh, you know Santa Clarita and stuff I used to sing with Willie Chambers every Sunday night at Cantors Deli, who's one of the Chambers brothers. You know, time has come today. Like And we all know Cantors, people who live here know what that is. It's the best the best. That it's was my classic. Sunday night ritual. So much fun. But I'm so really sad that I missed. I, I missed it. I'm so sad about that. I know. I know. Oh. I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, I le- oh, you were in Highland Park the other day. I'm like, oh, I lived in Highland Park. And Oh, know. I love Highland Park.
1: And so, you know, the reason I say it's probably good that you're not here is because you have that freedom to create your crowd with people who are excited that you're there which I know can happen here too, but I can't, there's no way I could sit here and count all the musicians and bands that I've known in LA that I thought were world-class, just amazing, that end up actually working in cover bands because they need to make a living doing what they do and you can make a living doing that. And there's so much, what I understood it to be when I was in a band here and let me be clear. I never thought that we were world-class ever. I just (laughs) wanted to scream and jump and shout and talk about things, you know, which was really fun. But we would play sometimes with amazing bands and they would go away. And I would always be offended by that. Back then, the word on the street was that any given night that there were 10,000 bands in LA, Wow. that not that they were all playing, you know, 10,000 gigs, but they were all actively gigging. 10,000 bands at the same time and performers. And I was like, Whoa, that's a lot (laughs) to cut through and how hard you have to work to get somebody to come out to your show and how grateful you are that they're there. I feel like it
2: might be a little bit different in new England. Selling tickets to get people to come to your show. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy. I I played a a couple of shows that I got paid for, but most of them, I didn't get paid for at all. And uh, yeah, so I get it. You know, it's just like, I played at the airport and Oh my Um, God. I played at the airport. You You did not, you did not
1: belong at the airport. Totally
2: played at the airport. (laughs) Why were you there? (laughs) Just to do it. You know, it was just like, I'm just going to do anything that I can do. Like I just, what was the other one? Irish, Ireland's 32. I played there. Um, Yeah, it was, listen, it was so fun, but I could tell that this is, this is a tough down to to make anything happen. And I, I actually had a great songwriting partner there. She's still out there, Amy Ling Wynn. And we recorded a bunch of stuff and we're going to try and re-record from afar and, and put some stuff out. I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I met amazing musicians there. It's just very expensive to live. And New England, I just had such a big base of, of friends and I had already played here for years before. So it's, it's a little bit easier to be based out here for sure, you know.
1: I don't know who chimed in when I first realized who you are, like as a person, but I saw you, I saw your URL or your username show up on my Twitter feed. Like you would like a post or make a friendly comment, but your username is not like a human name or it's like initials. So it didn't really register in my brain. And then I don't know, something happened. You or somebody posted you singing and I was like, what? <laughs> what? And somebody commented like, "That's our alley," and you just felt this pride, like, and I was like, "Oh, oh, she's she's
2: somebody's alley. She's a ah. whole bunch of somebody's alley. This is so cool." Well, so that's so cute. So yeah, I had posted cavalcades, I think, and you. Oh no, so Dan, my friend, so the the party where I met my husband. So there, I was in a Grateful Dead band in Pittsburgh for a couple of years, and. Grateful Dead fans are like the best audience you could ever play for. They just love every song. They love everything you do. And, um, but they would also, we do Fleetwood Mac and we did other stuff. So yeah, I think Dan posted a me singing Rhiannon at that party. Yeah. um, Which was, which was so nice, but yeah, that group of people is just so, so supportive and it's, it's just so nice. I'm so Mm -hmm. lucky.
1: I love that you speak about your gift, like you know it's a gift. There's no false modesty going on. Did you have a process that you went through to get to that place? Or did you just kind of always know because
2: sometimes kids know? When I was young, I was very confident. Like one of the first things, my, my mom kept a baby book. And she wrote in there that when I was three and four, I would put pots and pans all over the kitchen floor and stand on them and have my mom go, Ladies and gentlemen, Allison, Jalee, <laughs> and, and I would sing, and um, and I would like you know I was in every chorus, choir type of thing. I wanted to, I got solos all the time, and then junior high I really stopped. Um, I, I don't know what happened. I just I became a lot more insecure in general in junior high. Still sang in chorus, still sang in choir. I was in that band when I was fifteen, but just in general I became more insecure. And so when I started singing in bands, yeah, I was, I was less secure about how good of a singer I was. I compared myself to other singers all the time. And like I said, I just don't, I don't have the kind of voice that can do everything. No, nobody does, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I, you know, I wished I could do everything (laughs) and, um, and yeah, it's really only been something about having a kid really changed my, just my self confidence in general for some reason less insecure about my looks less insecure about my gifts and talents less insecure about I don't know even like social things just something just shifted when I had him maybe because I didn't really have a great sense of like you're so important you know take care of yourself I really didn't I was a big self-sabotager I wasn't great to myself but once I had my son it made it easier to be kinder to myself honestly because i just loved him so much uh-huh. and um yeah so it was kind of the catalyst for me to change how i felt about myself and i'm super grateful for it yeah. he's 4 now he just turned 5 yeah and he loves music he has great pitch already and he's so cute i mean he just is like play your song mom play your song that's awesome: oh, it's so nice May that last forever let me knock on wood <laughs> I know I know I have a ukulele and we have like a little beginner guitar and he he pulls up music all the time and like plays plays on the guitar and plays keyboard and plays drums it's very cool makes Whoa, me so happy so cute so happy is your is your husband musical so he has always had tons of musician friends, and he has a nice voice, but he thinks he doesn't. He has the best lyric memory. I've I've never met anyone like him. Oh, I'm go- I want to play
1: a challenge game with him. Oh, Who okay. remembers lyrics the best? Oh, although me, mine like- is mine is weird. Mine is like TV commercials and stuff. I have a very and ch- church songs. <laughs> yeah. What about like the um the eighties and nineties? Are you good at those? Eighties for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some like, I miss some of the nineties because I
2: I that was a strange period for me. But yeah, yeah. hair bands. He's got them all. Like you. Could oh be like, yeah. Hey, how about like Wild Wild West? Yep, Every word. <laughs> I mean, it's and like he works in a he does refrigeration, so he works in grocery stores, and he just hears songs like one time and he knows all the words. Whereas I have like lyrics for songs that I've sang. 200 times. I just have a terrible, terrible memory for it. And I blame the Grateful Dead band for that because there's so many songs to remember. It's just like, ah, it's like a computer. I can only fit so many lyrics into my head. But with originals, I'm doing better at being able to memorize those at least.
1: How do you feel about that now? That you're, you know, the Love Crumbs has some momentum
2: going. How does that feel different than doing a cover band? Which I know you love too. I do. It feels great. It feels great, even though, um, you know, I am not, I'm not really much of a songwriter. I do write some, but I'm not an instrumentalist, so I can, I can clunk, you know, chords out on the keys and I can hack away at a ukulele, but it's, it's tough to write songs when you don't really play an instrument. I like writing lyrics, but Mike is just like, talk about a talent. He is just a phenomenal songwriter and he also knows my voice so well, so he really knows how to write to my voice mm. and I just I love singing what he writes and it really he kind of spans all these different genres but there's something cohesive about it he's just his style kind of fits it all like you've heard the the next one coming out that isn't out yet it's it's nothing like cavalcades genre wise but I still feel like it's cohesive with it you know? I feel like they could be on the same album yeah yeah Camel
1: going to be, it's the hit, right? It's the I, one that makes everybody go get the album, but they're going to stick around for the other songs for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. And we just took on another um, member in the band who's also an amazing songwriter. He's kind of more in the like folk Americana vein, but he's just great. And he <laughs> he's in a Grateful Dead band too, actually. And he has Jerry Tone when he plays guitar, which is like, oh, I don't know. That makes me so happy. What is that? Jerry tone. Oh, just when he solos, like you can just hear it's got the tone that Jerry Garcia. Oh,
1: oh, oh, uses. oh, 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 yeah, oh okay, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think you and Mike have a ton of chemistry that I imagine would be really great on stage. And I heard you talking about Mark being a man that will be like, are you comfortable here? Or do you feel like you'd be more comfortable moving back home? And then we'll actually move back home with you. I'm like, this guy, this guy is a rock. Like, how does he experience you being in bands with other men? He's
2: just Mr. Supportive across the board. He's super supportive. When we first moved here and I was like out at the bar all the time, all of a sudden again, it was a little tricky because it's not not the band members. It's more like how many people come up to you afterwards and, you know, that can be a little tough. It was, a, there, it was a transition for him yeah. to be like, oh, all these people, you know, <laughs> all these people just love you. But, I um, love that they love you. I love that they love you. <laughs> it's very sweet. And I always tell him like, believe me, there's nothing to worry about, but um, no, he's totally cool. With I mean, he's, what did he say? That it was the sweetest thing after he heard Cavalcades for the first time. He doesn't listen to my stuff usually, like until way after the fact. And um, when he first finally listened to it, like in his car, out of the speakers, he was like, "Something's gonna happen for you guys." I just, oh my know, gosh, I just, yes. I just want you to know that. And I was like, "Oh my god, thank you." That was the nicest thing. Just yeah, I
1: think people get confused I think they think they love you but what they're really experiencing is their own love like you're channeling spirit and they're feeling that and it's such an overwhelming wonderful feeling of like love blasting at you that you want to run up to the band or the singer at the end of the set and be like I just love you so much because that's how it feels you know and it's I I think I really think you're a channel, which is why I can love to sing so much, and I can really put my heart into it, trying to sing your song, and it just doesn't come out the same way because I am not that channel.
2: <laughs> I have the goofy channel. Like I loved hearing you <laughs> sing it. I thought it was adorable, and I was I was so mad at you for te- for making fun of your um, intro song because I'm like I love this intro song. Oh, I don't know what she's talking about. Like- I am deeply,
1: deeply cheesy. <laughs> And when, when I was in a band, everything, you know, because I was writing for men and it had like a punk rock thing. Everything was like, what we're angry about is politics, but they never wanted to sing my corny, cheesy stuff, which I can't help. I have shame about it, but I can't not do it. If that makes sense. Like, I know, I know this is cheesy, but I just can't help myself. You weren't the
2: singer in the band? No, I was. Yeah. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah. Oh, you said writing for men. I didn't know what you meant.
1: Well, I would. I would hear like the whole song in my head. And then, I mean, when I think about it now, it was so arrogant and obnoxious to do this. But I mean, these guys were amazing touring musicians. And I would be like, okay, so the drums go like this. And then I would just (laughs) do it all with my mouth, you know? And then the guitar or the bass line goes like this. And they were so... (laughs) gracious uh I definitely got called weirdo a number of times but I think because I wasn't a musician the sounds were weird and that was new to them because they were such pros they were used to working with pros that I think I was a little bit of a novelty (laughs) yeah
2: that's good for them though it's good it's good to just I don't know I I do the exact same thing like use my mouth to be like what about if you do this you know yes yes Yeah. yeah okay Yeah, because if you hear it, there's something about, like, you want other people to
1: hear it with you. Yes, yes, totally. So what kind of songs do you write?
2: My (laughs) – I always joke that it's, like, root, chord, root, chord is always the (laughs) rhythm because that's the only thing I can do on the keyboard, but – The songs with Amy from LA, she is a a bassist who does like really cool experimental type of stuff with her bass. Um, Oh, I love a girl, a girl bass player. She's so good. And she uses like an, I want to say it's an Ebo maybe. And so I wrote some pretty cool songs with her. I'll send you some. Yeah. I, we just recorded one or actually like re-edited uh, one that maybe is going to get used in a little horror short film, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. But we're we're going to record a bunch of them. Those were a little more like in the dark vein. And then I had some that I wrote like sort of thinking maybe a jam band could do them. My, my old Grateful Dead band, like maybe I could adapt this for the jam band. So we'll see. Someday maybe I'll get those fleshed out. I have one song that we do in Love Crumbs. We haven't recorded it, but I was in a band with Mike ten years ago, and um, we wrote a few songs. We were starting to build some momentum, and we had this like epic band breakup. No. Uh, oh, epic, epic! It's so common, and it's so sad for the fans. We're all oh. like, no. <laughs> it it was too much, and we didn't talk for years. And then eventually, we got back in touch, and then we became friends again and like made amends for everything we had uh, done through that situation. And when I moved back, I called him up and he had, I think he had just had another baby. He had a daughter already. Either his wife was about to give birth again or had just, and I was like, you think you have time to just like play once in a while? We'll do a duo thing. And so at first it was kind of like a half-hearted, like whenever we can, but I don't know, over a few months it started to get more serious. And then we met Scott, the bass player, and um we just we could feel it like okay there's there's something here we're mm. going we're going to make something of this i, mean,
1: I you know. love that you found a way to heal that yes. stuff and like it's like a soulmatey thing there's an interview with Mick Fleetwood he's on here's the thing i think it's i think i listened to a oh, few different Alec podcasts Coleman. yeah i think it's here's the thing that he was on and he was just talking about the dynamics of having really talented people in one band and like, you know, do you let them go when they want to go and just the different problems that can come of that. And it might be worth taking a listen, having a listen to that because I'm sure you would relate. And it was super entertaining.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not all ego there just tends to be very strong opinions within a band you know I mean me and Mike for sure are like the most uh, opinionated in our band Scott and Ryan our drummer are are super laid back so <laughs> yeah you need those you together. need to go with the flow
1: <laughs> pe- people to make it happen you know yeah,
2: yeah the rhythm section is like okay very laid back which is cool yeah so but it's good like me and me and Mike have a way of like we can kind of get a little feisty but we we bring it back down and he works with uh, kids with autism and he is just very empathetic and he is also good at like diplomacy because i think he's like a Kate project manager or something so he has to deal with a lot of interpersonal stuff with staff and he's just he's very like emotionally adept at this point
1: i would say annoying as many autistic people as i do is it teaches you so much about people in general Yes. And and the importance of listening and paying attention to who the person is instead of trying to like push your way through a conversation or something. You're, like a lot of the people I know with autism, you can't do that. You have to be very present and patient and listen carefully to what they are saying to you, whether they have words or not.
2: Yes, so true. Mm-hmm. My brother is, is, uh, has autism. He's He'll be 38 this year he has a little bit of language, but not much, but he, you know, he has a a personality whether or not he can express everything he wants to express. And yeah, you have to be really present with him. Does he like your music? You know, he, he doesn't do loud noise well. So he's never come to a gig or anything of mine. He loves music, especially classical and he has a huge VHS collection. So he goes back and listens to, all the cartoons, which a lot of the old cartoons have music, especially classical music. He goes back and watches those all the time and remembers all the songs. He has an incredible memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays keyboard. He did the Suzuki method for a while with keyboard. So he does those keyboard exercises still. That's but, um, so
1: cool. Yeah. My son is sensitive to sound too, but I've been able to take him to concerts by, he wears these headphones like that Yeah, you wear when you're drilling. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Like the, the ones that really block out the noise, but he loves to feel the music, you know, how That's you can awesome. feel the, the beat of it.
2: Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my we probably have those headphones. My dad's a machinist, well, metal worker, and I'm sure he have them. Yeah, we've never done it, but it, it wouldn't be a bad idea. You know, my actually, I think my mom has taken him to like Tanglewood and places like that.
1: I feel so privileged to have you on this podcast today because... I, something big is about to happen I know you're not putting that pressure on yourself and you shouldn't and don't let me do that to you <laughs> I'm just excited I'm just excited about what you're doing and I have a feel, a good feeling about it and I just don't think that the universe puts that kind of gift in a person for no reason you know what I mean it's like yeah it's not just for you. <laughs> because yeah. it doesn't need to sound that way if it's just for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, keep it all to yourself. Yeah, I have a good feeling too and it is it's like I don't want to put the cart before the horse and and imagine anything too grandiose. I'm just I'll be happy with with whatever comes out of it to be honest. Can I play your song on this podcast? Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. Do you mean the new one or the the old one? You're going to make me choose. <laughs> Well, the new one, we're going to release on May 21st. So if you want to play it- Okay. No, 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 no. People have to get on your newsletter or start following
1: you on social media to get the new song.
2: Yeah, sure. Perfect. <laughs> That's the <Yeah>. rule. <laughs> I'll send you all my, all our socials. And stuff. Yay. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So let's, let's wrap this thing up. Lady first, where can people find you online? So on um, Facebook and Instagram, we are Love Crumbs Music. And our email, if you want to email us about anything, is lovecrumbsmusic at gmail.com. And we are building a website right now. And you're on YouTube. Yep. And on YouTube, there's a couple of videos. On Spotify, you can find our song. It's called Cavalcades under Lovecrumbs. And I think it might be on, like, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all the others, too. So what's a Cavalcade, iTunes. Cavalcades is a like a silent procession. Mm. so mike wrote that song after the black lives matter movement really gained momentum that was what was on his mind at the time big time and he he wrote that song and if you go and read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics with it in mind you can you can kind of piece together what he was
1: oh i'll never hear he it the feeling. same way
2: again yeah it's it's powerful
1: yeah it feels inspired i can totally now i can see the connection yeah Okay. So what's your one tip for creating the
2: kick-ass life of your dreams? So my one tip is for people like me who feel physical anxiety before things they, even things they like to do, but just new things. One of my favorite people in the world told me once, I said, I can't believe I'm still nervous to sing after all these years. It's so annoying. I was going to go do an open mic. And he said, why don't you try telling yourself that you're not nervous you're excited because they feel so similar. And if you can trick your brain more easily than you think and just keep repeating like, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. And to some degree, it really does work It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've ever done the Master Cleanse, but it's got this element of drinking a giant amount of warm salt water in the morning, which is (laughs) disgusting. But if you tell yourself while you're drinking that this is chicken broth, this is chicken broth, this is chicken broth, it makes it so much easier. (laughs) And I think it's just like like reframing in general is is one of the best tools out there. So, yeah, what I, that's what I've been trying to do more and more, especially now that I'm not able to use alcohol to, you know, artificially calm me down, basically. I'm just going to use that. Like, hey, you're excited about this. And even if it's something you're not particularly looking forward to do, to doing, like I've got to go have a hard conversation with somebody. You can be excited about the resolution that's going to come afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, something yeah. like that. So
1: That is a trick that I've used. And I also have this thought that's helpful. Like if I feel this way, that means I care and somehow connecting to that, I care, or I wouldn't feel this way knowing that I care. And that's why I feel that way somehow helps me through it. Absolutely. That makes so much sense.
2: Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for, and for being so supportive of us and our song when it came out, and it just really means a lot to me. Everything you said on that podcast, I was like, ah, oh, tears in my eyes.
1: Oh, it's so really. easy. You make it too easy. <laughs> That's it, my friends. Dream on. Happy Beltane. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, happy Samhain. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.
0: At One. I saw parades through silent cavalcades. Rose.